church. You know, young people today or anyone in life never ever sets out and says, when I grow up, I'm going to become a drug addict and an alcoholic, and I'm going to purposefully set out to destroy everything in life, everything that I have in life. No one ever says that. No one ever says, I'm going to ruin my schooling. I'm going to ruin a career. I'm going to destroy my family. I am going to just damage every relationship that means everything to them. No one ever does that. I thank God that today, my history, our history is his story. I have survived three motorcycle accidents, a car accident, and a boating accident, and I was sober only one of those times. I have survived five witness drug overdoses and two suicide attempts. Ten people that I have sat and used drugs with are dead and gone to overdoses. I've lost a few friendships since then to accidental overdose. Another 15 people I have known have successfully taken their own lives. I've known another three that have succumbed to diseases acquired through their addictions. In my youth, our classrooms averaged about 35 students. That's almost a whole classroom full of kids that I would have known that are dead and gone today. Those are fathers, those are husbands, those are sons, those are daughters. I'd like to bring some statistics taken from the Global Teen Challenge website. There are approximately 270 million addicts worldwide. 3.6 million of these people will die from drugs and alcohol every year. That's 10,080 deaths per day, 420 deaths per hour, seven deaths every minute. Where does Canada sit on this world stage? Well, in 2016, we were the number two country in the world for opioid abuse per capita. In September 2017, we became the number one country in the world. We should be number one in hockey. Don't say that in Toronto. We should be number one in hockey or figure skating or curling. I'll even throw in lacrosse. Those are things we should be as Canadians be proud of. But no, we're number one in the world for opioid abuse per capita. Number one city in the world for overdose deaths is Vancouver, British Columbia. The number two city in Canada is my hometown of London, Ontario. Eleven people die from drug overdoses in Canada every day, and that number is growing. Six million Canadians met the StatsCan criteria for substance use disorder in 2012. 44% of drivers in fatal car crashes tested positive for marijuana in 2014. 
Marijuana today is 300 times stronger. And now in the when I was saying this speech back in August, I was saying it was 300 times stronger than it was in the 70s. My professors corrected me on that. It's 300 times stronger. It's been upgraded than the DSM-5, 300 times stronger than it was in the 90s. Canada is one of the top producing countries in the world for growing the strongest strands of THC levels of marijuana in the world. But let's legalize it. I want to make one thing very clear. I am for decriminalization, not legalization. Because people in prisons don't need punishment, they need treatment. And that's a debatable subject, I know that. and I'm not going to get into that today, but substance abuse costs an estimated $22.8 billion in Canadian society in health care, criminal justice, and lost productivity. But the human cost is even more staggering. From a McLean's article in March 2019, U.S. and Canadian law enforcement agree that most fentanyl is coming into Canada through the mail system. Online shipping is a new way of buying heroin and other recreational drugs. Today, people are using the dark web to order fentanyl and other illicit drugs. Many overseas labs openly advertise the wholesale quantities of 2CB, which is a psychedelic, fentanyl powder, crystal meth, MDMA, ecstasy pills, promising discreet packaging and safe delivery within two to three days. We don't need to worry about the cartels so much from South America or from Asia. I mean, we still do, but I mean... You can just go online and mail it if you know how to work the dark web. Thank God I'm computer illiterate, but I mean, today's youth are whiz. I'm watching five-year-olds outdo me on a cell phone when it comes to doing stuff. This is who we have to worry about. This is why we need to educate ourselves. If you're not familiar with what fentanyl is, fentanyl is a drug that has been synthesized, uh, uh, like it's been mass-produced through big pharma companies. It's a synthetic opioid, which means it does not need to come from the poppy plant. It is 100 times stronger than morphine and 50 times stronger than heroin. But you want to know what's hitting our streets now? Carfentanil, 10,000 times stronger than morphine and 100 times stronger than fentanyl. One grain of salt size worth of carfentanil will kill you. I worked with a client who was a carfentanil addict. So with our mail system, we can order up to 30 grams or anything under 30 grams or 30 grams and under does not need to be inspected by the postal people. 30 grams of fentanyl, if I was to order it today, has the potential of 15,000 lethal doses. This is what's happening in today's society. Amongst youth, we're seeing a rise of 52% in overdose deaths. 
Studies have also concluded that we urgently need to have resources for the younger demographic. Street drugs today are being laced with fentanyl, which pose an even greater risk to first-time users. When I first moved up here a year ago, I heard about two young ladies in Canada, two young teenagers, high schoolers, first-time users overdosed and died together. There was a recent study done in Ottawa, our capital city, had a rise between 2016 and 2017 of 32% in overdose-related deaths. Our provincial average was 6%. Number one city in Ontario right now for addictions per capita is Pembroke, right here in the valley. Teen Challenge, a faith-based drug and alcohol, 12-month in-residence program that is faith-based, cannot save them all, but I thank God we can save some. David Wilkerson, in 1958, changed the landscape of addiction. His son stated that the type of program that Teen Challenge was was unheard of at that time. There were only two centers in the United States that treated addicts. One was in the wing of a federal prison, and the other was in a psychiatric ward. You had to be institutionalized to deal with your addictions. Teen Challenge not only removed the stigma of addiction, but also became one of the most successful drug and alcohol treatment programs that the world has had to offer. I'm just going to upgrade the stats that Kim had, had said earlier. We are now over 1,400 centers in 125 different countries. God is doing something with this ministry because if you do the math, that is like a center opening one every two weeks for 60 years, and we don't take government funding. So something's working. In 1969, a study was done by the universities in uh, New York City when methadone first came available to the heroin addicts. And uh, these stats still run very similar in the, in the secular world, 5 to 15% success rate five years after completion. And the doctor that headed up the study was stunned to see all of a sudden, what is this teen challenge over here? 75 to 85% success. She actually labeled it the Jesus factor. Huh? Legend has that she became a Christian because of that. I choose to believe that story. I don't know if it's 100% true, so don't quote me on it. I choose to believe it because the Jesus factor. That's where it sits. That's what makes us successful. I work with Teen Challenge Canada Incorporated. We currently have five men's centers across Canada. We now have, we just opened two brand new women's centers that opened and started taking students this past month. We have three women's centers now in Canada. And we're on a, a, a Canada-wide uh, promotion to try and double the amount of beds we have to over 200, which it seems like a drop in the bucket to the need but, you know, again, it, it costs money to run programs like this, and we're doing the best we can soon. And I am up here to get the newest men's center in Renfrew, Ontario, up and running and open. 
Our mission statement is to help men and women overcome substance addictions to lead full and productive lives. That's what we want to do. What is my message I want to bring you today? I want to bring you a message that, you know what? God can save those we deem unredeemable. I was born into a home where my parents had split up before I was born. I was raised by my mom. My brother was raised by my dad. And at the age of eight, I moved from London to a small town called Norwich, Ontario. That's where I first started to uh, experience bullying. Um, It was kind of a tough transition for me, but I certainly found that humor won me friends very quickly. Through a family, I was introduced to Jesus Christ at the age of nine. By age 10, I was singing in a Baptist church choir. By age 11, I was baptized in water. By age 12, I was a crusader and attending youth group. By age 14, I was drumming in a Pentecostal church. By 15, I had read the Bible twice through, except Revelation the second time, because it really confused me the first time. But I retained more scriptures up here than I even do today. I was one of the fastest at sword drills. I really was passionate about my faith. Unfortunately, as an adolescent, you're not always the wisest. You think you are. But I didn't carry enough of him in my heart. I carried too much of him up here. This is where you got to make the connection. At age 16, I began binge drinking. I tried to find what my identity was going to be, and that's when I purchased my first motorcycle, and the biker identity started to grow from there. I was very popular in high school. I was in good shape. I was a great long-distance runner. I didn't excel in hockey at basketball or anything, but I was good in track and field, and I was an excellent soccer player. I was a two-time gold medalist wrestler. I did acting. I acted for theater groups. I was an air cadet. I was voted valedictorian of my high school. I was very popular. But by my senior years, I had excelled from drugs and alcohol all the way up to using a lot of LSD, smoking hash and marijuana products and all that sort of stuff and experimenting with cocaine and mescaline. I had what I would call an addictive personality. At the age of 17 also, I started to experience suicidal thoughts, not understanding why. Because my life was relatively good. Yes, I had an absent father. I was lucky if I seen him and my brother at Christmases and birthdays. But I was experiencing suicidal thoughts. I couldn't figure out why. Graduate high school, I move in with my dad for the first time. It's like two bachelors living together. I started a career working at a cemetery. And uh, I thought, I'll cut grass for a year. And then I seen job security. So I pursued this career. And on the streets, I garnered the nickname Graveyard because no one could ever remember the name Steve. They'd go, you're that graveyard guy, right? Like, yeah, I am. My name's Steve. Yeah, next time, hey, graveyard. Graveyard stuck. My identity grew. I unintentionally, unintentionally, I say, became a drug dealer because I'm in the city now, and all my friends back home were either coming to university and and college in London, or I was taking drugs because I was being asked to back to the small towns that I grew up in. 
if, if it was just a very easy transition. It was unintentional. I didn't set out and say, I'm going to be a drug dealer, make a lot of money. I worked full-time. I was a full-time drug dealer when I got home. And I raised two beautiful daughters in a, in a home that was fueled by drugs and alcohol, thinking I'm doing no wrong, thinking I'm making all the right choices in life because my kids were the most protected kids in the world. My kids also seen stuff they never, ever should have seen. I was a functioning drug user. I was a drug addict who could go to work and come home and party and pay his bills and everything until I stuck that needle in my arm. I made a fatal decision of introducing that lifestyle to the mother of my two daughters. My family was destroyed within six months. I then got engaged to a young woman who'd never been really drunk or high in her life that whole time. By age 30, I had my first Harley Davidson. We had a paid-for house. I had two dogs, a cat. I had uh, a fish aquarium. I had a fish pond. Everything materialistically you ever think you would ever want in life, I had it. But I was always still trying to chase this void in here. It's about this time I was diagnosed that I actually had bipolar disorder. They call it manic depression back then, but I had bipolar disorder. And the doctors told me millions of people were just like me. It was October 11, 2003, when I made that fatal decision to get on my bike that cost me my leg. I was pursuing a 20-year dream, and within a blink of an eye, my dream was gone. You think as you're laying on the side of the road and you're bleeding out, and a lady's holding your hand and she's got your leg tourniqueted and I'm giving her my last rites, you think there's that motivation. Boom, there it is. Get sober. My mother asked me in the hospital, she said, Stephen, did you think about heaven or hell? You see, I had given up all faith in God at the, during my years of this lifestyle. I mocked people for their faith. I would mock people that believed in a deity sitting there doing drugs with me in my house. I mocked my mother to her face for her faith. And I looked at my mom, I said, Mom, no, I didn't think about heaven or hell. I just wanted to hold my daughters one more time. You think there's that motivation. You lost a leg now. I had to learn to walk all over again. My dream was gone. There is one thing that I had that some drug addicts and alcoholics don't have is I had a mother and an aunt that prayed for me for 20 years. Never give up. My mother was like the persistent widow found in Luke 18, 78. So, so don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. 20 years may not seem like quickly, but my mother was persistent in prayer. And so was my Aunt Linda. 
To persist in prayer is not, and not give up does not mean endless repetition or painfully long prayer sessions. Constant prayer means keeping our requests continually before God as we live for him day by day, believing he will answer. When we live by faith, we are to never give up. God may delay answering, but his, but his delays always have good reasons. As we persist in prayer, we grow in faith, character, and hope. If we know he loves us, we can believe he will hear our cries for help. I was on the waiting list for Teen Challenge. And over Christmas of 2006, I relapsed. And on January 4th, 2007, my mother came and found me, and I'd been doing crack and injecting drugs. And she was very angry, and she said, Get your jacket on. We got to go to the hospital. Your granddaughter's been born. And I want to tell you folks that when I walked into that hospital room and I seen both my daughter's faces, the disappointment in their eyes, in this beautiful little baby in a bassinet, I live this memory every day of my life. You think there's the motivational kick in the pants you need to get your life back. And I can look every one of you in the eyes directly and say I wanted to die more than ever before because I felt so hopeless, so worthless. I felt like my kids deserved a better dad. I felt like this beautiful little girl deserved a better grampy than the junkie that I was. I thank God that by May 17, 2007, I entered the Teen Challenge a very angry, bitter, and broken man. I wanted nothing to do with God. You see, God had to destroy me before he could rebuild me. The first sermon I heard in Teen Challenge, remember, I was not a believer. The, it was, the message was, God will reimburse you for your lost years with interest. The Lord says, I will give you back what you lost to the swarming locust, the hopping locust, the stripping locust, and the cutting locust. It was I who sent this great destroying army against you. Once again, you will have all the food you will want. You will praise the Lord your God who does these miracles for you. Never again will my people be disgraced. He also goes on to say, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. I am very heavily graffitied. I'm a titanium reinforced temple of God, but I'm being renovated from the inside out. So don't judge the exterior. Judge me for who I am today, where I've been, what I'm doing, and what I am doing with His grace. I am a seed thrower. I throw, throw seeds to the wind and pray that God will grow those seeds of hope. How do I know that God will reimburse you for your lost years with interest? Well, a few years ago, 
my daughter and I took the Alpha program together. She was 18 years old at that time. And she accepted Jesus into her heart. I went on to graduate that Bible college. I now have a bachelor's degree in youth ministry and counseling, and I've now completed my addiction certification, and I'm applying for my designation of associate addictions counselor. I made a phone call to my son-in-law driving down the highway last summer, 417, and I called my son-in-law. I have a fractured relationship with my older daughter, which is devastating, but now I know what my mother went through. But my son-in-law said, he said, Grampy, we got some news for you. You see, since my granddaughter's been born, I now have a grandson. My now nine-year-old grandson accepted Jesus into his heart last summer. And he says, we got more news for you, Grampy, as tears started streaming down my cheeks. He said, Olivia, that beautiful little girl that was in that bassinet is getting baptized this Sunday. God will reimburse you for your lost years with interest. Yes, I have a daughter who turns 30 this year who's lost in the world, but I will never give up because my mother never gave up on me and Christ hung on a cross for each and every one of us because he never gave up on us. Never give up. That beautiful baby you've seen in the picture is now a three-year-old son of mine. And I can tell you honestly, from his birth date today, you will notice how much gray I have coming in my hair now. <laughs> and it's just going to get grayer because I'm proud to announce that this September my wife is pregnant again and we're expecting another child. My family tree is very awkward but beautiful. Very awkward but beautiful. 2016, my wife and I started laying prayers before the Lord. We said, Lord, we'll go anywhere in the world you want us to serve. Here's the dangerous part. But put us where we can make the biggest impact for your kingdom. Friends of mine in Bible college thought, well, I'm going to South America. Woo, it's warm all year round. And some of them are up north where you can only fly to. Watch what you pray for because I want you to mean it. I meant it. So when the Lord sent me and my wife from Kitchener, Ontario, a year ago this month to Renfrew, Ontario, and I look out my office window and I'm like, thank you, I'm in cottage country. Thank you, Lord, for sending me to the valley. Then I realized the need here to get our center open as I have worked with over 25 families to try and help them. Got a phone call from a father a couple weeks ago. His son got some of that fentanyl-laced cocaine and overdosed and nearly lost his arm as he fell on his arm and cut the circulation off for 12 hours. His best friend was dead beside him when they found him. A friend of mine from Bible College just lives over the river in Quebec from me now. He said, Steve, can you pray for my 17-year-old cousin? He overdosed with fentanyl-laced heroin, and they are trying to save his legs. He'll need gate aids to walk for the rest of his life, and he'll have permanent kidney and liver damage. 17 years old. This is our reality. 
So God might have sent me to God's country in the valley, but there is such a desperate need for help. How can you partner with us today? Thank you for any one-time love offering you can give. But first, I want to ask something from each and every one of you that I know you can give. Please pray. This ministry was built on prayer. David Wilkerson sold his TV to pray. I'm not saying do that. Unless the Holy Spirit tells you. This ministry was built on prayer, so please pray for us that nationally we can do something, globally we can do something, but in the valley we can do something. Just because we're not open does not mean I'm not working as as an addictions counselor because I am. We have one-time love offerings. We have center sponsorships, if you can give us center sponsorship. If you love to golf, we're having a golf tournament in June. Come and see us at the table. If you ride bikes, woo, okay, if you ride motorcycles, We're having a freedom ride in July. We also have a pledge drive right now. Because for every pledge, if it takes three years to commit a $1,000 pledge or $5,000 pledge, that amount comes off our capital campaign. We have 200 acres of property in Renfrew right now. God is going to use that property to restore lives, to help men with their addictions, introduce them to Christ, Mothers are going to get their sons back. Wives are going to get their husbands back. Children are going to get their fathers back. He's going to do great things here in the valley. 200 acres of beautiful property, 100 acres of, uh, 160 acres of beautiful hardwood forest, 40 acres of pasture land and buildings. We have a video card at the table. You can go and go online and see what it is. And that was before construction. We got a $1.6 million capital campaign. We started fundraising in 2017. We're halfway there. We're, you know, I say we're one check away because I've seen God deliver huge checks to Teen Challenge, but we're inviting you. If God, we're not here to take away from other ministries, believe me, but if God is leading you today to somehow support us, come and see us at the table. Talk to us, but please pray for us. 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16 says, Sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart and be ready at all times, all times to answer anyone's questions or accusations about the hope that you have and to do it with gentleness and reverence. Thank you for allowing Teen Challenge to come in and share with you folks this morning. God bless you all. And uh, if you need prayer for anything, if you need to talk to me about anything, please come and see me. I want to pray with you. We want to start a journey with you today. It's just because we're not open here. We're open across Canada, okay? If you just need some advice, please come and talk to us because I believe each and every one of you knows someone or you know someone who knows someone who can use a program like ours. Thank you very much and God bless you.